Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Paul. Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast, your podcast of finding all the nice shiny things in the world and stuffing them into your Moscovy and going out and exploring the stars. Or using them in with your Vero team to fight the supernatural in, in America. That's right, because a lot of times, not knowing that this equipment is available keeps you from seeing the options. Did you know you can use your iPhone to detect magnetic fields? There's an app out there that lets you detect magnetic fields with your iPhone. I think there's an app out there that can tell you whether you're too drunk to walk. And there's an app that works a seismograph. It's fairly sensitive. It makes use of the built-in gyroscope inside uh, most smartphone devices. For a beer agent, it'd be good to know if you're under, under the influence of a spell or not, that you're acting, well, you're not moving with the normal gait. So, in case you didn't figure this out, we're talking about gear this time. This is a gear episode. Now, we've done a whole lot of packing for success episodes, but it's been about two years now since we actually had one. We're basically going to say what's shown up on the radar in the last two years that we think might be a really big help to your play and to your methodology of doing things in Bureau 13 or Fringeworthy. Now, for Fringeworthy... There's new research in algae-based batteries, living batteries, which would get over the entire problem of, well, my, my, everything's dead. No, you just got to wait 10 minutes and you got power with an algae-based battery. The Fringeworthy would be oh, ex- accelerated because this is something they can sell to the Fringeworthy. And like, and like NASA, research done to help the Fringeworthy will actually turn around and benefit the rest of the world. So I can actually see, you know, of course... You walk around with this thing that probably weighs about four times what it should weigh, but hey, you'll have power, and it won't be from fuel cells. It'll be something you just got to make sure you keep you keep watered and fed. <laughs> you know, you, you you step through the portal, and now you got to get all your gear ready. I figure on the on the good side, you're only looking at two and a half, maybe three hours of charging batteries, installing operating systems, and backing up and restoring backups from all your all your handheld devices before you even do anything, do anything as a fringe ready team, anything can reduce that time is going to be a major benefit. So well, we're going to go and break this down into a number of categories so that we can try to keep these things together. And if you're interested in these things uh, in particular, particular type of thing, then you'll know which section to go to, to listen to it. So John, what was the first topic? Communication for both bureau and fringe ready. This is very important. We've always assumed that everyone has like a push-to-talk system that allows them to communicate to each other fairly efficiently. This is more or less for ease of play, because otherwise you have to say, you two, go in, the, go in the next room and don't listen. Pretty much assume people are wired for sound. Well, we assume everyone's wired for sound because it solves the whole problem of splitting up the party and therefore having a big brain drain on any problem that any particular group has. Even if you're not there, you can still comment, make suggestions to people who are in another area trying to solve a problem. 
Are you saying, John, that there are new advances in communication technology? There's been a new breakthrough in small RFD and Bluetooth devices. This is more for, for bureau rather than for uh, fringeworthy uh, that you can put anywhere and they can be programmed or they can program f- uh, other phones to do things. So this is a way of actually perhaps you, you want to make sure no one can actually make a phone call or they call, they call, their, they call your number, not someone else's number. By basically creating what I would consider a um, fake cell tower in that room or wherever you're meeting the person at. So they decide to check up on you. There's no need for worry about an intercept because you have a built-in intercept right then and there. They take care of these folks. Or they can be programmed to do other things like shut their phones off. You can create a personal cell tower. Yes, personal cell tower with a fairly small device. Where before you need something about the size of a suitcase, now they have devices you can hold in your hand. And similarly, they have things that for Wi-Fi as well. I mean, a lot of people have Wi-Fi-enabled devices that'll just grab the nearest Wi-Fi. And if you make that Wi-Fi your Wi-Fi, then you can control what they receive and you can also record what they do. I've seen a new technology. There's a device from a company called Sigmo. It says it brings Star Trek-style universal translators closer to reality. I've seen that, yeah. As our, our listeners may recall, the translator device is actually built into the Star Trek, at least in the next generation and later, into the Star Trek emblem, the, uh, the Starfleet emblem that they wear on their, their jackets and shirts. So it's, that's actually a universal translator built into it. And similarly, this particular product, it has a little square that it's basically you hang on your shirt and it does the uh, recording, has a microphone in it and also a speaker. So the idea is, is that you, uh, using your phone, you set up um, a communication protocol where you say, this is what I'm going to be speaking in, this is what they're going to be speaking in, and then it connects to a various cloud-type software that will do the actual translation. It will receive it audibly do the conversion into, to, so you can understand it, and then convert it into the language that you want to speak, and then you'll hear their voice coming out of your, this little device speaking what they're saying in English, assuming that you're, you're English, and then let's say they're Russian, and then you speak, and it'll do the same thing and then speak out in Russian. Now, there is uh, supposedly an enhancement in the works where you can record your own voice. It breaks your voice down into, is, are they they're called phonomes? Phonemes, yes. And which are the very small pieces of sound that make up each individual sound that we consider a, a word. And uh, you can, it'll store those and then use those. So it actually will, after it does the translation, it will actually speak in the foreign language in your voice. So that's a really good way of, of being able to identify who's actually speaking and, you know, who's it for. This, of course, is nowhere near the actual Star Trek device, but if you're playing Fringeworthy or if you're playing Bureau 13 and you, you basically assume that you're using technology that's 20, 30 years advanced because either, A, you're getting it from a, an alien world or be, uh, a time slip from the future or from the Fringeworthy who are 20 years advanced on the Bureau 13 world or in Fringeworthy just running into other um, high-tech type worlds you might have this technology much more advanced. Now, of course, when you're out there on the fringe pass, it won't work because electricity doesn't work. And then when you're on alien world, you won't have access to the cloud because 
you know, you're not connected back to Earth. However, there's nothing to say that a fringe-worthy person cannot carry their own personal cloud with them because, you know, it's just going to require a certain size of computing device to be able to handle that. But those can be carried inside of vehicles and then connected through cell or Wi-Fi or whatever you want to use to reach you wherever you may be and do this for you in the same way it would happen here on Earth. Yeah, I actually listened to a demo of this on NPR, and it was very nice, but they did point out that it has all the joys of autocorrect sometimes, because it does depend on voice recognition, and you have to speak a complete sentence before it can do the translation, because unfortunately, there's context information in the sentence that needs to be translated. So it waits for a whole sentence, and if it misunderstands, the outcome's wrong fuse box. If I remember correctly, they had a, a similar device in use in Afghanistan. The, the soldiers actually had a little device that would let them use pre-designed or pre-generated sentences so they wouldn't have to worry about too much about you know knowing the local lingo. And I think there was some limited uh, translation going on there. It's been tested. and Yes, I think in 20 years, uh, they'll probably deal with the fact that some people like to lisp. And some people have pronunciation issues with certain words and, and deal with it, basically. Produce a, uh, a translator that works pretty well. Now, I'm going to say it's never, probably never going to work as well as a person who, who understands both languages and can do the translation. But it'll be a pretty good up until you get to certain topics or certain technical issues. Yeah, obviously it's never going to be as good as a person who's a native speaker in both languages. Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, I know somebody who recently took a test that allows her to be involved in negotiations and contracts and things like that, translating English to German. She knows German so well that she can sit in on legal conversations and translate them back and forth, and and they can have confidence that they're understanding each word that the other person is saying correctly in the proper nuance. Now, with the Tamilan gifted language, it's always a perfect translation. And the same way with the Tamilan implants. Their computers are very, very big and very, very experienced. <laughs> are they implanting an organism in you that does the translation for you? It doesn't look like an, an organism. It looks like a little pea that you stick in your ear, and it basically does the translation for you. Uh, it embeds itself in your body once you stick it in your ear. We find them on dead Tamilans. Yeah, because they would have them, especially if they're going to worlds where they're running into a lot of people speaking a lot of foreign languages. Unfortunately, you are harvesting this off a corpse and then shoving it in your ear. If that grosses you out a little bit, good. <laughs> That's a little unpleasant, yeah. Isn't it just one way to you? You can understand what they're saying, but you can't speak because it's just oral, not verbal. I mean, it's, it's basically you can listen, but you can't speak. No, you can listen and you can speak. However, if you wear the translation bracelets, everybody around you can hear and speak. Ah. Provides a, I don't know, some kind of a neural connection to everybody's brain surrounding and everybody can understand. Otherwise, it's very, the, the, the implant is very personal. Take notes, folks. This stuff, <laughs> learn something new every day. Since you put it in your ear, it embeds itself in your body. How are we harvesting them back out of dead Tremelon? Is it just once the, once the host dies, does it come back out? No, you just dig it out. Oh, fantastic. 
there's a lot of things you'll find inside surveillance. Usually the first thing that happens is if someone goes over and they pick they pick up the body and they shake it and this thing comes rolling across the ground, they're like, oh, look at that. Now, how they get to the point where they say, hey, let's take this and shove this in my ear, I don't know, but somebody did it. Somebody ate it. Oh, I hope not, but that wouldn't work. Since the IDET teams are made out of random people who have the fringe-worthy capability, not always the sharpest pencil in the box. So therefore, somebody or other is going to take that puppy and shove it in their ear or do something with it. Put it here. Do you hear it say anything? Do you do anything? Uh, and then it'll just squirt between their fingers in their ear. And all of a sudden, wow, I, you know, it's like stereo. Or you run across somebody who knows what the heck it is. You found an ear translator. What? Yeah, you just pop it here. Let me show you. What, what, what? And in it goes. And, well, unfortunately, we need to speak a different language that you don't know. And, you know, parlez-vous français? Oh, I do understand what you said. Yes. <laughs> so did the poor unfortunates who've met Schmert get one stuffed in their ear while they weren't looking? There's no evidence of that. And the funny thing about it is, is that after you get it, you still have a hard time understanding him. <laughs> Its preferred language is Tamelan. It figures everyone knows how to speak Tamelan. Why do it? Why do we need to translate that? Tamelan is hard to understand because it's so verbose. It has so many nuances to it that a lot of times it runs on so long you kind of forget what your original point was. But the Tamelans have no trouble carrying on a conversation of, of a couple of uh, you know tens of thousands of words before they get to the point. Elocution is something we do well. So bend your ears. And listen well. I know I'd use the same rhyme over. That was terrible, John. I know. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Try swell, John. Swell. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not much better, but at least it's something. I was just doing a cappella, so, you know. <laughs> what? You want to set this to music now? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. No. Do we have anything else under communication? I have a military-originating radio. Okay. Caracol PRM4740A. Gesundheit. Yeah. And essentially, it is a man-portable radio about the size of what you'd see a police radio. And it comes with a earpiece that fits over your ear, but it has a elastic headband instead of a, a rigid headphone set. So you can wear it underneath your helmet along with a noise-canceling microphone. And it has a long whip antenna, so it's got good good range. But the beauty of this thing is it's a digital radio. So when it transmits, it's not transmitting radio waves. It's transmitting ones and zeros. Even eavesdropping in single channel, you're going to get weird noise. So you need another digital radio at the other end to receive and understand it. The other thing it does is it frequency hops. Frequency hops means it jumps from frequency to frequency to frequency at a set rate, set time, for a set duration. So it might go from channel 1 and transmit on that for a half a second, and then it will jump to channel 101, transmit for one half a second, jump down to channel 5 and for one half second, jump up to channel 9 for one half second, jump up to channel 150 for one half second. You as the operator aren't going to notice, and the other person at the other end who has the same model radio with the same encryption and the same fill isn't going to notice. But anybody listening in or trying to find your radio frequency isn't going to be able to distinguish your radio transmissions from the background static caused by quasars and 
and sunspots and other stellar static noise. And the Big Bang. Yeah, it's indistinguishable from the background noise of radiation. So even without turning it in the third possibility, which is encryption, so that those ones and zeros, you have to have a special key to unlock them, and still further to understand what's being transmitted. On most any world you would step onto in the Fringeworthy, not only can they not eavesdrop on your radio transmission, they might not even realize you're transmitting at all. So as a team, you have a hyper-secure form of communications that only a really, really advanced civilization is going to pick up on. You always will get EMF off of that because you're going to be broadcasting in a certain band. So they may pick up that there's EMF going on, which is electromagnetic frequencies. But you're, as, you're, as you say, they may not realize what the heck it is because it's going to be all over the place. Yeah, it's jumping up and down in wideband. It's going from 30 to 80 to 87. And it doesn't stay on one for even a full second. Yep. What's the range on, on these? It says it transmits one watt of power with that. I'm thinking you've got a minimum of 10 miles. Yeah, horizon to horizon, basically. And it's got a pretty long whip on it. And the other thing is, you can use this military radio to get onto other radio networks. So you can talk to vehicles on the ground. You can talk to the helicopter pilots circling over your head as long as you can switch to a frequency that everybody is set for. It's a code page system. You got to be, Everyone's got to be on the same code page to uh, make sure they're, they're synchronized. Right. If you're not synchronized, you're going to hear gibberish just like, like anyone else who doesn't have the, have the code page. And in, for the case on this radio, it's a little device that plugs into it. You push a button that says fill, and it will do little bars that count up, and then it goes chirp, and it tells you it's done. That will load the encryption. That will load the what's called a hop set or what frequencies it's going to jump back and forth to and how often. And you just go around, and you plug that into each guy's radio, and you hit, and you hit go. That is usually handed down from high above at your headquarters so that it's widely disseminated to everybody. And it's generally changed every 24 hours. So I would see using this on a world that you know they may actually have radio. Not quite sure if they operate in the same bandwidth. But, but you know, it'd be on the safe side. We don't want them to pick up that we're here and operating. Now, at this point, I, I would consider how much concealing can I do with the set? Can I replace the earpiece with a normal earbud? How much can I customize this set so that I can to operate clandestinely on a place that you know, we want to stay on the on the QT with these people for right now. This being a military radio, it kind of has proprietary plugs. Ah, uh, and it's also probably from looks. I'm looking at a picture he sent us. It also looks like it's also built built mill spec, which means it's overbuilt, and you can drop kick the thing down a hill and it'll still operate. Yeah, it's hard to break. Then again, if we're talking fringe worthy, you actually want something that's ruggedized, so yeah, you may have to take, take your breaks. So. Uh, you probably could conceal the the antenna, though. I, I I would imagine you could wear it under your clothes. Yeah, or replace it with a large flat antenna underneath your jacket or something like that. Uh, there's these uh, flat antennas you can you can get. They're flexible, and you can sew it in the back of your jacket, and it still works. So that actually was probably what, what my team used to wear when they're out walking around. I guess. <laughs> It's one you could go to, say, the Invasion USA Earth, where you, they're going to be hostile to Fringeworthy. You step out, you can talk, 
amongst each other over a great distance and probably not going to be picked up by the Soviet patrols of invasion USA Earth. And instead of doing the digital frequency hop with encryption, you can switch it down to a single channel manual and stay on one frequency and talk to somebody on a regular plain old crystal set. There you go. So it is a little more versatile. Military radios generally have a much more tremendous range than civilian radios. When I was at Fort Lewis, we used to tune into the TV stations and listen to the football games and things like that that were being broadcast on TV. So we got the sound, just not the video, because we couldn't pour it out of our radios into, into a video screen. Back in the day, and for last, we'd tune into the old pager system and listen to this thing transmit people's voicemails. If you had this technology in, like, say, a bug, would that defeat some of the bug sniffers that people use to, to, to detect things like standalone, self-powered microphones and video cameras? It's still going to put out an electromagnetic field through the antenna, but weak because it's not transmitting. So it is an electrical device, and there is juice going to an antenna. I mean, that put EMF in a consistent manner. It will put out magnetic fields, though, that you can pick up. So it's still not 100% perfect to conceal a bug. But, but you push the transmit button, it pushes out at one watt of power. So it's going to spike it. Well, you start as a bug, though. Uh, using the technology, the frequency, hop is, ho- the frequency hopping technology in a bug. Well, if you're lucky, you find a termelon bug. It'll just go off someplace and do a burst broadcast and crawl back and listen some more. Probably go up and butt his head against the owner, and the owner go, oh, what a cute little kitten. <laughs> you're getting to the point that you have a bone conduction, Mike that's implanted in your jaw and behind your ear that works by Bluetooth with your phone, then there's nothing visible external and you could sub-vocalize and carry on a conversation that, no greater than a whisper that would seem like somebody was talking normally into a phone. Bone conduction's pretty cool. Got to work with a bone conduction mic once. You all heard of Google Glass, the newest little bit of technology from Google, where Google Glass is just up there, up, uh, up, above your left eye, so you have to look up left all the time to see what it says. Take that technology 20 years from now, that's something that you'd see in Bureau sunglasses. You're walking around and you have augmented reality. You can see things. Jordy vision. All your sensors in a pair of sunglasses and, yeah, you can see, uh, you can tell someone's warm. Oh, that's a dead body over there. Yet he's moving. I think we got a zombie over there. <laughs> look and blink and get information what you're looking at. And he says, oh, he's looking at that thing. Okay, don't know what it is. Sorry. Oh, okay, we got to find what what that thing is over there, you know. (laughs) There is currently a a device that was recently disabled. It was built into the recycle centers in England, the little uh, recycle uh, kiosks. And people would go and and drop stuff up, and they had this little TV screen there. And what it was doing was is that it was hacking on the the Wi-Fi – getting into people's phones, figuring out who they were and what they liked, and changing its ads to match what was of interest to them, which I think was a good thing, but they thought it was a tremendous invasion of privacy, and so they they made a big fuss, and they had to shut that capability off. Now it just throws up random ads like it did before. Minority Reports is the next step where where this does facial recognition or whatever and says, oh, you're Paul Nunes. Here's an ad for targeted adding. There's a, a fellow who's made quite a career of hacking stuff. 
And he's one of the white hat hackers. And so he's come up with this set of 10 little transmitters. And what he does is he drops them in an area. They network with each other and they immediately start looking for Wi-Fi de enabled devices and hack into them. He's already proven that he's able to get amazing amounts of data out of things that are in the area. They're small, closer to the size of a PSP. Point is, it's a little brick. They're self-powered. And they, he literally just goes and just drops them randomly in an area, and they automatically set up the network. They automatically start hacking. He was able to prove this by using a set of phones that you know that he has uh, enabled inside the, the network. It only can read from his phones. So anybody out there who thinks that maybe he's been accidentally walked through the area where this was being tested, is it was designed to only go after his phones. But of course, that's just a little software switch, and then it gets everybody. And so he was able to just prove that there was nothing. You know, your security system, ha, forget it. Yeah, he's, he's into it. He's got it all. So uh, this would be great for Bureau 13. Uh, you just basically walk around an office. Uh, you just start dropping these things in the trash cans, uh, slip behind monitors, wherever you might want to put them. Make it look, you know, I'm sure you can have them, you know, look innocuous in some way or another. Uh, you know, put put like printer uh, drive, you know, you know, uh, or, or a server or something like that. Within like you know, 15 minutes, you basically own all the uh, the phones and and uh, most of the computers uh, that are on the and all of the printers. <laughs> that are in that particular uh, workplace. And then it's just a matter of sifting the information out by knowing what you're looking for. So I think you slipped into our next topic, which is data gathering and analysis. Yes, as a matter of fact, I was. But I also wanted to talk about the fact that it's able to set up its own Wi-Fi and it's able to you know do all that kind of networking on its own. You know, So that's, that's something that people, they, they've talked about before, the idea of being able to just scatter Wi-Fi transmitters into an area and have them automatically set up uh, a network. And then when you land your people to do whatever it is that you're going to do, they already have a Wi-Fi set up for them to use. So they're much more effective. The military is working on a battlefield Wi-Fi sort of network where every vehicle is a node. So as you, as you talk in your radio, it doesn't matter if... You have a personal transmitter that's only got a range of one mile. As long as you're within one mile of another truck, it will pick it up and send it on down the line to where it needs to go. That's a lot of information being shifted around then. The downside of that is you have what we call remote control Joe. And that means somebody sitting in the White House Situation Room picks up a phone, talks to him, and goes, Private Jones. Turn your head 45 degrees to the right and tell me what that thing is over there. <laughs> Sir, it's a tank. Thank you, Private Joe. And same thing went with battlefield cameras. They're putting you know, helmet-mounted cameras on guys. Well, what do you see? When I ran my Frenchworthy uh, game, my team was wired. There were at least two video cameras going at all the times. And I realized, okay, that meant every night they're burning several DVDs. Uh, from that, from those cameras, uh, which means they have to carry out extra power packs for those cameras. And when, this is getting into the data gathering, and there's a lot of pocket cameras out there. There's a lot of cameras you can easily keep charged off a little battery pack. But I did an estimate on how much information they had generated just in videotape, just in video recording. One person in a week would get somewhere between 100 hours to 
82 hours worth of video recording in. And I realized, oh, and there's a team of six. That's 600 hours per week if all, all of them had cameras. And then they go back to the, back to uh, Hatsumi and they dump the data on these on those poor folks here. I say I realized the largest organization in Eunice is the data gathering and an analysis team. They take all this film, all this data they've collected, and crunch it. So you have two debriefings. The one you have after you get back from the mission, usually within the week, within a week, and then during the off season, you get your second debriefing based on all the video information and other data you you pro- provided to them. It's taken them three to four months to just crunch and 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 go through before they can actually get a uh, an idea what's going on. There's a lot of information being generated. Some of it, John, you can. There's there's algorithms now out there that do a lot of that video editing for you. Having worked in the security field for a little while and being stuck behind a bank of monitors, there are video cameras that record only on movement. Yeah, but it cuts up the boring bits, you mean. You know, it goes, okay, boring, boring, boring. And there are, right, but there's other ones where you can you can go through a video and then you highlight something like one person's face. And then you use that as your search parameter. So if I have 82 hours of a team on a planet, but I only want to know what the contact said, I can highlight the contact's face, click it as the search parameter. It's going to go through all 82 hours of video and parse out the bits that's only that person speaking. There's going to be a ton of information just being created by these teams. This is where they got the shot of, Misty killing a raptor with his bare hands by breaking its neck. They had cameras going all that time. Of course, at that point, they were probably using the straight-to-DVD cameras. There's two kinds of cameras you'll be using as a fringe-worthy. You'll be using the little ones you can see, hide in your pocket and have a little hole for the lenses shine through and then maybe a decent uh, sound pickup someplace. Clandestine. Clandestine. And then there, you're someplace you don't, you don't care. But you also realize we're going to be getting the heck out of Dodge, too. So you, you, you have the straight-to-DVD cameras that burn straight to the DVD. That way you don't have to worry about, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do an expedited exit from this uh, world, which means we have no time to burn the DVD, so we best do it on the fly with a straight-to-DVD camera. You know, just remember to turn it off before you go to the portal. Otherwise, you, the last bit will be kind of screwed up. I kind of see that what they would do instead is a camera that would automatically upload to Facebook. They would automatically upload to a server through Wi-Fi or some kind of a cell connection. And then that would then go straight into a burner to burn it automatically so they never have to carry anything other than solid state with them. Yes, eventually. But I would imagine in the first couple of years, it's going to be a nightly process. You know, I'm plugging in the SD card into the DVD burner and burning the DVD. Data gathering is going to be very important. This is even for the Bureau. You're going to need to go and take the Carillion readings and made them to your, your video uh, results. You're also going to have to go and figure out what Baines might be working for it, create a, a really useful entry. So the next poor person that runs into this thing is not going to lose half, of, half an arm. I know that MTM has a, a radiation detector built into their watches now. You can buy radiation detectors right now for any, for any of your smartphones and plug them in. You can get the Nuke Alert keychain. Yep. 
And like I said, I mean, I have a app on my iPhone that lets me detect electromagnetic waves, detect noise levels. Not only are you able to detect all these things, but you're now able to detect things that nothing was set up to detect before. Yep, and record them, which is also the important bit. You know, this various plugins you can plug into all various kinds of smartphones. I imagine with Bureau, they can be miniaturized even more. They could probably be part of the phone rather than a device you have to plug in. But you still have some specialized gear you can plug into your handheld device of, of choice and gather information. Soil samples and stuff like that, you'd, you, you require a plug-in device for that. But other than that, a lot of things can be probably handled just fine by your phone. I mean, imagine most of these smartphones have built-in Carillion detectors in it anyway. In my game, the phones do pretty much everything that the computer used to do. You still go to the Bureau computer that's in the RV when you want to do some serious hacking. You know, you want to break into major security centers because it's got the hardware to do it. But for pretty much everything else, recording video, recording audio, doing most analysis, you know, things like that, it's all handled through your phone. I imagine with Fringe, you actually still would have laptops. And there are now newer laptops that can be recharged through solar cells. And the reason why you would have a laptop is laptop is where you plug in all your handheld devices you're carrying around to restore their backups. It's also where you store most of your information uh, that you're going to carry around with you. A couple hours the first time through to get everything up and running and, and ready to go. I'm sure that a Blu-ray disc would probably be a solution because you can just put your entire operating system on that. And then it can load as necessary off of you know other storage as you know you decide to use various things. Panasonic has developed an ultra-wide 64 by 9 video system. And what this does is it records 720 DPI at 160 degrees. Now, this may not sound like it's important, but the biggest problem with taking pictures is while you're taking a picture of something, you're not taking a picture of something else. Yep. And that might be more important. So what this allows is this 160-degree image at 720 DPI allows you to take a high-resolution picture that you can then zoom in on the part that's actually interesting or important without having to move the camera. It allows you to capture stuff that's fleeting, ephemeral, or uh, just, you know, you know, you didn't see it was there, but later on you can find it. Yep. And I'm sure that that can be, it'll be enhanced in the future, especially in our games. There is actually a system, though you have to get a really high res, uh, me, you know, mega. We're talking megapixels. We're talking like in the forty and fifty range megapixels. But what it does, it uses a fisheye lens, and basically does and it does the from the uh, anamorphic compression from the fisheye lens. But then you run it through a, a special software, and you get two hundred and seventy degrees in a a virtual reality uh, dome, basically, and you can see everything in that in that in that picture. So it's very nice. It's also very expensive, right, but that's not a problem with these games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With these games, you can get this stuff, so you can actually have something on your on your vehicle that's doing a cons- constant Google Streets. You know, as you're driving along, constant 270 degree arc. Yep, dome. It's basically you're just missing what's under the vehicle. Use a Google camera, which actually does take a uh, three a, a full three sixty sphere by using multiple cameras. I think it's Sweden is one up to Saul. Well, what's that? Sweden has developed a UAV that does real time mapping. 
and they're deploying it in their armed forces. And basically, they launch this thing. It flies over your perspective area and using LIDAR, radar, millimeter wave radar, thermal cameras, low-light cameras, and real-time cameras. It, it looks at the terrain, beams it back, and then at a plotter, spits out a map. You're not relying on 10-year-old, 20-year-old, 30-year-old cartography. And if the enemy blows up a bridge, it's going to detect it. It's going to update it. That's even better in Google Maps. Uh, how long does the drone fly for? 10 hours, something like that. It's not a small drone by any means. Sounds like you'd see on a fringe-worthy team, they're mapping a world. Yeah, send the drone up, and there it goes. Well, that was the whole idea of the Pathfinder, which was something that could fly around at about 100,000 feet and stay up there forever. It would use solar power to run its props, and then during the nighttime, it would, it, would, it would use a battery to keep the props going, and then it would slowly circle down into about 30,000 feet, at which point the sun would come back up again, it would get some more power, and up it would go again until to its operational thing. And that it was able to do all kinds of that's that was part of our original fringeworthy game when we were talking about it back in the beginning in the in the first episodes we did on packing for success. Yeah. I think that if you're not using drones in your game, uh, in either Fringeworthy or Bureau 13, you're really missing out on some of the capabilities. Now, some of the drones are noisy. Okay, let's 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 be honest about that. So therefore, they have to be used at a distance, or they have to be used in a noisy environment. But not all drone uh, uh, drones are noisy. Some of them are like solar-powered airplanes. Some of them are are dirigibles. You know, at night, you know, no one can see that dirigible up there. So don't be afraid to use things like that. And, of course, some things can be simply disguised as other things. A drone can look like a bird. As a matter of fact, there was a video I saw recently that was called People Flying uh, in, uh, I think, New York City or L.A. It was a, a stunt that was being done to advertise uh, that one movie where everybody got the power of flight. I can't remember these these guys that got these superpowers, and so they had these little these ultralight planes that were shaped like people, and they were flying them all over the city, and people were like looking up, seeing these things. They would fly up and do loop de loops, and they would go around, and they was they would move together as a as a group, and from a distance, it looked like people flying around. Well, if you do that, there's lots of soaring birds and things like that that you can. Uh, impersonate and therefore get your drones up there doing the job without uh, uh, without ex exposing yourself as somebody using high-tech surveillance equipment. The dirigibles, if you make it out of the proper material, carbon fiber and stuff like that, is invisible to radar. So if, you, if there is technology, they may not see it. Of course, then you have to run the problem of air disasters at that point, but you know, have you read the article on the new Super Black, John? No, I've, I've heard of it, but I haven't read the article. It's nanotubes inside of nanotubes. Therefore, light goes in and gets trapped in between the layers of the of the circles of the nanotubes. And so it's the it's the deepest possible black that they've ever been able to create. Obviously, it's going to be used in high-end video equipment and telescopes and things like that. But there's also a really good possibility it can be used to absorb radar, which would make these things essentially invisible uh, to things like radar and other, other types of devices. 
if you take that and put that underneath a transparent kind of uh, LCD and you use the you know transmit from the back side to the front side, active camouflage. Now your device is invisible from 50 feet away. Actually, if you want to be invisible in the sky, just have the blue LEDs arranged in the bottom. The blue LEDs will match the color of the sky and make your airship invisible. Or just fly really high. Yeah, or fly really high, or, or paint it blue on the bottom, white and green on the top. You know, uh, you know old, old, old camouflage works just as well as, good, as new camouflage. <laughs> but yeah, there's lots of ways to gather data. Paul, you, you found something interesting. I was looking for something that was multifunctional because you're you're festooned with a whole ton of equipment and sometimes it's a pain in the tail to keep track of this recording device that recording device this for looking a long ways this for taking snapshots up close so i found this this device by sony called the digital recording binoculars model dev 50 and essentially, we're combining a whole ton of items all together in one smallish package. So it functions as binoculars, and it will zoom from a 0.8 out to point plus or 25 times magnification. When we're talking 25 times magnification, to do that with real-world glass binoculars, we're talking the big, huge maritime ones where the len- the glass on the end is about 10 inches across like big dinner plates i do have a pair my dad was in world war ii and he has a he was able to get a pair of binoculars like that off a japanese uh, battleship wow that's kind of cool it also functions as a as a hd camera so if i i can zoom up close and i can take a picture of the team or take a picture of persons i can you, like it's binoculars, zoom in on something that's a thousand yards away and take a picture as if I was 10 feet away. Yeah, I'm looking at the specs. I remember, this is not new. We all know about the the, the, the old uh, video camera binoculars that these advertise on seen on TV. Oh, which are far less capable. It does HDMI output. This also does 3D. Yeah. It'll take a 3D image. And it's only $2,000, folks. That's not much. Not much, really, no. That's a high-end television. Yeah. Yeah, high-end camera, yeah. I remember when those were $5,000. You know, it's got other nice features in it, like image stabilization. When you click that on, you know how you've watched video somebody else has taken and the camera's shaking because their hand, they're talking or they're breathing and their, their hand moves around? This has a little gyroscope built into it that cancels out that shake image stabilization. So you get a rock steady image. So it's only like two steps away from the, the pair of binoculars that Luke Skywalker used in the in the Star Wars movie. <laughs> and you know, in a couple years down the road, when it gets low light and thermal imaging. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have Luke, know, Luke Skywalker's glasses at that point. Along the lines of uh, we were talking about the scanners, okay, there's a new scanner out right now that provides digital autopsies, which is more important than you might think. The, the idea is that they're trying to avoid having to cut people open to see what killed them. So what it does is that it, it basically using some of the all the different scanning technology it has, it goes and runs and builds up a digital image of the deceased. And of course, this could also be used for examination of alien life forms. 
uh, you know, bodies of animals and stuff like that. By doing the scanning, it actually you can see inside the body, you can see where you know the the injuries are. Because a lot of times, cutting people open actually damages the very area that you're trying to examine. And this way, you can see it in its pristine state, so to speak. So are they doing this through MRI or through uh, uh, ultrasound? Or? I think it's mostly through things like MRI and other types of devices. I did see it mentioning using ultrasound. It was, in other words, it was a lot closer to the idea of what they had in Star Trek, where you just lay down on the bed and all of a sudden this, this display would come up and start talking about you. Yeah, so it's not exactly portable. It's portable in the sense it's the size of a bed. Yeah, if it's MRI, it's the size of the bed of a, of a, of a semi-truck. <laughs> but more importantly, I think it was designed to display the body in real time in a 3D image so that you could see the body and walk around it and examine it as if you, it was really there. I don't think it mattered where the, the data was coming from. But the point of this device is it allows you to see in a, a 3D image the individual, the species, the body, whatever, and start doing examinations of it in ways that really make sense. Well, you can also trot it out in front of an audience, too. They don't have to be present for the autopsy. They can get it by telemetry. They can be looking at a TV screen of the thing and then be a thousand miles away, providing commentary. So you can share your autopsy with a gang of of experts who all don't need to be standing in the room with the medical examiner. I wonder what group of experts who are not, who do autopsies would this could use this. Oh, we're, we're riffing off a previous episode about you know Bureau Thirteen, but anyway. Yes, you're referring to the Weinstein SWAT yeah. autopsy team. Yes, I am. Yeah, I, I, could, yeah. I, I actually can see them, you know, you know, instead of going to the pizza parlor doing this, having a, a, a basically, it would be a van. You'd have to have at least a van or a small small truck to carry, the, to carry this around in properly. For all the equipment you need to see all the various tissues and generate the power to run the MRI. So, but still, it's it's still very useful. I can, yeah, it's very useful. I'm not quite sure it'd be use. It's more useful. I think it's more useful for the bureau than it is for fringeworthy. However, yeah, fringeworthy, you'd have to bring a sample back. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's move on. What's next? Life support. Yeah, life. Life support. All right. I have a an article right here. That talks about, it's called the SAMS wetsuit. And this was designed specifically for protecting you versus sharks. And, and as SAMS means shark attack mitigation systems. And what they've done is they've figured out what patterns sharks like and what patterns scare them off. And they've made wetsuits to dis- display those patterns. They've also figured out what animals like to eat and what they look like and they've also designed that also in the wetsuit to break that image so you don't look like a seal you don't let the sharks like to eat that's their main food but also if you if there are certain fish or certain animals that they find predatory against them then they also would not want that now this is specific to sharks but if you were you know had a, a large database um, or if you were dealing with primarily unintelligent monsters, in the case of Bureau 13, it might be possible as a kind of a psychological bane to wear an outfit that would in, uh, instill fear and uncertainty into the creature that you were facing. 
Or you just don't look like you taste good. <laughs> yeah, so there's a large quantity of plaids in the bureau in the, in the, for the bureau. Uh, <laughs> and, and who does that scare? Uh, oh, clashing plaids, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, they, any, anyone would taste. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just an old joke. Anyway. <laughs> uh, they, they keep trotting out the Future Warrior suit. I have an article here for Future Warrior Suit 2020. But that's not really life support. That actually falls more under protection. So I don't have anything I have, like before having to do with like pocket, um, you know, smoke uh, breathers or things like that. Do you guys have anything uh, for life support? If you want to throw in medication in medical into life support, I mean, there are now smaller and smaller uh, devices. I mean, we're, we're making jokes about tricorders. There are now new devices for doctors to allow them to do all the various kind of tests on the person by plugging into their smartphone of choice and then using the various, uh, you know, probes and so forth to get information on the person and do basic, you know, me- medical diagnosis on them. I'm also thinking of the newer and smaller, the thing you use to jumpstart hearts. Oh, an AED, automatic external defibrillator. Yes, there's there's those now that are fairly small and simple to use, and stick them on, step, push the button, step back, and let it do its thing. It talks to you now. The last AED I had to train, I had to train on, um, came in two settings: English and Spanish. And you flipped a switch, and then you hit the go button, and it spoke to you. It told you what to do step by step. The U.S. Army discontinued one where they were going to do implants in every soldier. And shades of the movie Aliens, it sent out a signal that showed your respiration, your heartbeat, your blood pressure. So it instantly alert somebody that you'd been wounded. But the program was discontinued because it was continuously transmitting radio and it kind of gave away where everybody was at that's the idea also under the future warrior suit that it, it would send everybody telemetry as to your now of course if, if everyone knew where you were anyways that would be okay as long as you had some kind of they could use it to, to basically target you with missiles and, and weapon fire yeah it had the blue force tracker on it in the first iteration of the um, future soldier Back in the 80s, saying, we don't need all that EMF traffic in, out in the field. We put enough out, out as it is right now. Because I was in air defense, and one of the things we could do is track on EMF. So I can just start imagining out in the field, start, start feeling weapons that can track on EMF broadcasts. Every soldier becomes a target at that point. Hey, you just determine that, hey, there's a bunch of radio signals over there, and they're not ours. You just do a grid squares artillery search and take care of the transmitters. Track and broadcast. But that's why the, that radio I was illustrating earlier wasn't so important. It negates that ability. Unless you're doing broad scan, uh, you know, wide scan, wide scans uh, of, the, of the AMF. Then it doesn't make a difference. If you know they're operating between 30 and 80, and 80 you just scan 30 and 80. Yeah. Well, they're only on any one frequency for half a second. Like I said, it, it looks like stellar noise. Yeah. Now, yeah. for every for every breakthrough, for every defensive defense, there's always someone working on the offense. Yeah, there's a there's a constant battle between the shield and the sword. Sometimes the sword gets an advantage, and then sometimes the shield gets an advantage. Actually, one thing I can see right now that's on the horizon, they're still developing it, but it's something that I can see both Fringeworthy and Bureau using in the future. It's skin suits. These are suits being developed by NASA for astronauts. 
that aren't aren't the big bulky suits you gotta wear and all that stuff. These actually are form fitted, and they provide protection to uh, vacuum simply by <laughs> helping enhance the body's natural um, skin strength. So you'd have these form fitted skin suits for for your team. Hopefully, they all look good in, in Lycra. God, I remember the compression suit they did come out with. Fortunately, it didn't get fielded. But yeah, there was a this sort of it sort of looked like a wetsuit that you wore underneath your uniform. And if you got wounded, it would compress, it would shrink around the wound and act like a pressure bandage until somebody got on you and, and really started working. The one NASA's working on is is uh, much lighter and actually has built-in heat support. You don't sweat to death in wearing the thing. Yeah, that was the problem with the suit is even in wintertime, people were, were passing out of heat prostration. So anything else for life support? I got a cool one. This is an expedition vehicle. It's off the shelf. It's not purpose. You know, it's not specialty. You open this company's catalog and you say, I want one of those. And it's only like 80 grand. This is life support because you live out of this thing. It's a camper. They take a, a the 4x4 model of an E350 van and then re- redo the inside. They give it a pop top. In goes toilet, water tanks, refrigeration, freezing, stove, and stuff like that. So your Fringeworthy team or your bureau team has some place to where they eat, sleep, and do their business and don't have to keep returning to some base camp somewhere. The base camp goes with them. And actually, it's a smaller alternative to the, to the RV. You actually can park this in a, in a mall parking lot. You could drive around a city. I mean, it would look a little bit odd because it's pretty robust with a big ram bumper and stuff on the front of it. But again, it's all it's all terrain within within reason. It's a four by four vehicle with some pretty considerable ground clearance. I think for like another ten thousand dollars, you can get airtight and 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 at least three inches of Kevlar on the on all sides. <laughs> if you've got the money, you can have anything you want. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> this is your camp, and your camp goes with you. This allows your fringeworthy team to get away from the portal and really get out on a world. I was looking over a lot of campers. I mean, I'm in the Boy Scouts, and I do a lot of camping. And I'm telling you that when you start spending months camping, it's a whole different story. I'm yet to see anything that's, you know, other than maybe, uh, you know, a, a motorhome or something like that. I mean, we're really talking about some of these expedition vehicles are going to be like, as James Buchanan said, you know, the road trains where you have something big enough that you can actually put things that will give you the creature comforts that you're going to need in order to keep your spirits up when you're out on an adventure that takes four, five, six months to complete. And you're out in the wilderness and you're not around towns. You're in towns. You don't trust them because the, the beds are full of bed bugs and, and the, the people are full of fleas and lice. So you're going to want some place where you can, you know, take a good shower and get a night's sleep and just something to maintain your sanity. I'm not seeing yet the kind of technology available that I really thought would be like super unless you go all the way to like an aerial platform or like I said, a road train that's really, really huge. And that has its own problem. I mentioned road train because those things have humongous wheels on them that actually can go over rough landscape, which is a problem that right now they're not designed to do. 
They have huge wheels, but they're designed to roll over dirt roads. That's about the extent of it. They're not really wilderness expedition vehicles. So what you're really looking for is a Mars 1 or a Mars 2 from our project, which are designed for long endurance, go over any kind of terrain, and float, and can cross rivers and, and lakes. But again, have all the creature comforts. Yeah, and those who are unfamiliar, Mars One is the, is the combat vehicle for the Mars Project, and I think it was in Mars Two. Paul, you would know this. Mars Two was that the science vehicle? Science One is the science vehicle, which is kind of square and blocky, and then the Mars vehicle is the long cigar shaped one with the with the tri wheels, and it's based on the super futuristic combat vehicle from the movie Damnation Alley. Yeah, it was called the Landmaster. Landmaster, yeah. yes, the Landmaster, uh, or uh, then of course there was the Ark Two, which I don't. No one wants to talk about. No, let's not. Or this, shall we mention, this... mention mention the the convoy my team took to go from uh, a village in Mongolia to the capital of Mongolia, which consisted of a nineteen fifties uh, British diesel truck, and and the uh, Muscovy, and I think a yurt on wheels. Yeah. <laughs> It was the K100 truck, and there we went, the, the Mongolian horde. There we were, colorful, all smells intact, with a Muscovy festone with, with baggage. And how many, how many Mongolians climbed on top of the Muscovy for the ride? At any one point, we had 30, 30 Mongolians clinging to the top of the Muscovy. And everything is loaded down with baskets and cages and bags and barrels of gifts for the con. And both vehicles, they're traveling about close to 1,200 miles, and both vehicles had the had a range of about 300 miles. So, yeah, they actually had to go back to Hatsumi, get a tank to carry fuel in, and basically come back with a full tank of fuel for both both vehicles are diesels, thank God, and they were able to continue on. We got the fuel tanks, portable fuel top pod. Two were put on the back of the K100, and then a yurt was built on a frame over the top of that, in which the great Mongol leader who we were taking to the con to speak on our behalf rode in with his entire family. It was a sight to see: Bactrian camels, Mongolian ponies, and the Muscovy. Full Technicolor and all smells intact. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Paul. When you remove the pin, Mr. Grenade is no longer your friend. Yo, brothers, this was the TriTech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.